God's handbook for skillful living still sings the praises and adores the wife and mother who loves her husband and her children and gives herself for them. What are we going to tell our daughters they need to invest their life in? What does the Father in Heaven believe about the role of a wife and mother in the home? It's time to join Dave Wordson for another Encounter with Truth as we continue our series from Proverbs on street smart but godly kids. I make a decision that I'm going to really work hard to train my kids and teach them about the dangers of illicit wealth. I'm going to teach them about the dangers of immorality. I'm going to teach them about the dangers of a wrong use of of alcohol. I'm going to train them about the dangers of stealing all those basic moral values that are still true in the book of God. Who cares if a mother makes that decision? Who cares when mom cries when one of those kids that you raised and you thought you raised them just right, you thought you taught them all the right lessons, but you found out that when they got to be in adolescence that they had a mind of their own. And as they had a mind of their own, they could choose to be rebellious. So mom heard some of the doors start to slam. And mom began to cry when she found out that the children were not following some of that wise, skillful teaching that she tried to, she tried to invest in their life. Who really cares? When mom's all alone in the living room, sitting in a chair, and she begins to cry because she doesn't know where her son is because he's grown up and wandered away from the value systems that she tried to teach them in. Who really cares about this traditional, moral, committed mom? You see, the truth of the matter is known in our society. There's large, powerful voices in our society that are standing up and they're saying, women, that's really not where it's at. And when you've cleaned the house for the hundred thousandth time and the laundry basket is a perpetual source of laundry and the washing machine has begun to gobble up clothes and you just taken out a sweater that was your favorite sweater out of the dryer and you look on the label when it's now ready to be a doll sweater for your little girl because you just ruined it. It's easy to say, why in the world do I do this? And if a lot of moms were honest, they've all felt that. A mom's work is never done, but why should I care? There's voices in our society that say, you know, you really need to go for it. Where it's really at is you need to escape from that slavery, that thousands of years slavery of mom being a housewife and a mother and really making that a very strategic value in her life. You need to escape from all that. You need to go for self-fulfillment. That's really where the action is. Why should you ruin a beautiful figure by having babies? Why should you complicate life and, and make it so you had to give up several things? Why don't you just leave covenant relationships of marriage? Why don't you just leave kids? Why don't you just go out into the world and do your own thing? Because then you can spend Mother's Day at a singles bar drinking beer with your other divorcee friends. Now, obviously, that's extreme, but those voices are all a part of the culture that we live in. And what I'm trying to do as we begin this message, as, we go, as we're going to look at the Word of God on why it says that we need to care. Who cares? I want you to see these two alternatives. I want every one of the teenagers to realize that you live in a culture where there are these alternatives. You're going to hear about biblical values, a mother that remains devoted to her husband, who raises kids, whose kids grow up and sometimes break their heart. And you're going to be tempted to say, who cares? 
And you're going to be exposed to girls you grow older that are living a totally different value system. And they're saying that this is the way to find life. And what we need to really think about today is, why even have a Mother's Day? I want to nail it down. And when I ask the question, who really cares? God cares. And I want to share with you that I care. It doesn't make any difference if a whole society votes against it. What we're going to look at in God's holy word are the value systems that every mother should nail down and say, this is what I'm going to invest my life in. This is what my life is going to be. We're going to look at some values where every one of you husbands should praise your wife if she is living or attempting to yield to the power of the Holy Spirit in living these kind of value systems. Husbands today and every day, you should honor them and praise them and lift them up for these values. And children, when you go to look for a spouse, which all of you are going to do sometime in your life, or you're going to be at least interested in that, I want you to really listen today. Because I want to talk to you about a spouse who you won't be married to for a year or two years and then have her walk away. I want to talk to you about a spouse that you can hand your checkbook to them and they won't put you $6,000 in debt. I want to share with you about a spouse that you don't have to worry when you leave them home by themselves. I want to talk to you about a spouse that you can go away on a business trip and you can feel free to call them up and you don't have to worry whether or not they're going to be home or not. Now, you all sit there piously and say, oh, no, those aren't any of the problems we have. We do have those problems. We live in a day where trust doesn't mean very much. Where if it comes between a choice between my own pleasure and keeping promises, you know what the choices often are. We need to rise up and today we need to focus on the value systems that we should really care about. And so I'd like you to begin this morning by opening your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. I want to dedicate this message in praise of the skillful wife and mother. Don't turn me off, because I want you to realize that we might want to change all the rules. We might want to honor a different value system, but the other value system isn't going to fly. Young people, please listen to me. Because we're going to talk about some things that you need to really ask yourself as you're dating and as you're looking forward to deepening a relationship about the kind of a person that you should marry. And Proverbs chapter 2, verses 16 through 19 talks about the wrong kind of a woman. And we're going to come back here in several weeks as we go on in our book of Proverbs and we're going to deal with this immoral, unfaithful kind of a woman and try to bring out all that Proverbs shares about her. But this morning I want to use her as the opposite of example to highlight some values that are really precious, that we really need to live by. The very first one is this. If you have a mother and a wife who's faithful to her marital vows, thank God for it. It's old-fashioned, but it's still in. Covenant vows really mean something. I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 2 because you'll realize that God is really concerned about a mother and a wife who's faithful to her covenant vows because he warns us about an enemy, about a woman that doesn't care about her promises. Look what it says in verse 16. 
It will save you also from, and the NIV translates it, the adulteress. It says it will save you from the strange foreign woman, the immoral woman, from the wayward wife with her seductive words. She's left the partner of her youth, and she's ignored the covenant she made before God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the spirits of the dead. None who go to her return or attain to the paths of life. Now, the Lord warns us about this enemy, this woman who doesn't care less about covenant promises, who doesn't think it's important to keep promises. Now, in the wedding ceremony that I do, one of the things that I start out with is I talk about the fact that there was a day There was a day when if you wanted to buy a horse and your friend just told you verbally, I'll buy your horse, you could count on the fact that that was already sold. That horse was gone and sold. And if another buyer came along and said, listen, I'll give you twice the money, just by the word, you would say, I'm sorry, the horse is sold. Now, those days have largely passed. If you're going to sell a horse now, you'll probably want to have a lawyer. They'll probably want to have a lawyer. And then you'll probably need a third lawyer to decide what those two lawyers finagled in the whole agreement. One of the most basic problems in our society is that promises don't mean that much. The truth of the matter is, a lot of us will invest a lot more time and effort into the style of dress that a bride wears in the dresses that the bridesmaids wear, to make sure that we've got the right reception hall, to make sure we've got the right invitations. We live in a society where the media, where the ceremony, where the dress, where the outside is much more important than the inside. I really want you to realize that one of the most precious values young people that you can ever hang on to is to become a person of your word. You see, you are going to meet somebody when you're young. And one of the most important things that you need to find out about that somebody is do they keep their word? Will they tell you the truth? When they say, I will, will they remain faithful to that? You know, to keep promises, you have to be mature. You have to be someone who has it together on the inside. And I know when you're young, it's much more important to look at the way they look on the outside and how charming they are at a party. And when they wear all the right things and they giggle just the right way and they just captivate you. By the way, that's an old story. David Copperfield in Charles Dickens' famous novel fell in love with a girl just like that named Dora. She wore the right clothes. She was all excited and all flippant. The only problem was she couldn't keep promises. There wasn't any depth to her life. There wasn't any character to her life. And that's what Proverbs warned us about. In 10,000 B.C., Proverbs was warning young people just like yourselves, watch out for a woman who can't keep her promises. And he would tell the girls, watch out for a guy that can't keep his promises. And I want to share something with you. It sounds so simple, but you know what? We need to nail down the reality that marriage ceremonies really mean something to us. One of the most vital things that I'm thankful for 
is that from the depths of my heart, I can stand here today and say that we made a promise. And I have a woman who kept the promise. Now, most of you in our day, we don't even go to weddings anymore. If the person's not in our family, we don't even go. We'll stay home and mow our lawn. There used to be a day when whole towns would come out. We had solidarity. We're losing that day. Things don't mean much. You say, oh, man, it's, you know, we'll probably have three or four ceremonies before that life is through. And I want to share with you that God can forgive. And I hope you realize I really believe in grace and I believe in forgiveness. But I also want you to realize that I also believe very firmly in the ideal, in the skillful plan that God says of meeting someone when you're young and making a promise. And I'd just like to read to you the promise that this woman forgot. And I want you to notice that it says she forgot the covenant of her God. I want every one of you that are married today to realize that you didn't make a promise to me. And you didn't make a promise to the judge of Ellis County. And you didn't make a promise in the ultimate sense, even to your partner. You made a promise to God. So if you're going to talk about breaking the promise, if you think you've got a reason to break the promise, you don't primarily need to talk to me about it. And you don't primarily need to talk to a judge about it. You need to talk to God about it. If you're going to break your promise of marriage, then you do business with God about it. You talk to Him about it. There's a lot of symbolism in the fact that we still have marriages in the church. But divorces usually take place in a court, although there now is a denomination that even has a divorce ceremony now. You even have tea afterwards, and everyone lives happily ever after. The tragedy is real life doesn't work like that. What makes Mother's Day precious is kept promises. And if you haven't been able to keep your promises, what makes Mother's Day precious is that there's forgiveness. And when there's forgiveness, there also becomes a whole renewed ability to keep promises. That's what forgiveness really means. It means you admit that it was wrong when you made a mistake and you broke covenant promises. And then you go on in the freedom and the joy of God's grace and start to live in those beautiful godly traditions again. Let me read to you what a wife promises at the wedding ceremony that I use. Will you have this man to be your wedded husband? To live together after God's ordinance in the holy state of matrimony? Will you express your love to him by respectfully submitting to him as Christ's leader over you? Will you seek to be his competent helper in serving your heavenly father together? Will you comfort, support, and honor him in sickness and in health? And forsaking all others, keep yourself only for him so long as we both shall live? I know that our society is starting to raise the issue. What difference does it make if a man keeps his covenant promises of marriage. What difference does it make if a woman keeps her covenant vows of marriage? And I want to share with you that a politician might need a theologian to explain to him what adultery means. But I think we found out that our society still doesn't need a dictionary. We still know what adultery means. 
And what the book of Proverbs said 3,000 years ago is still true. Immorality ruins careers. It ruins lives. It does make a difference. Because it makes a difference, so does covenant faithfulness make a difference. And so, husbands, if you can go home today and eat, eat a meal and live another day with a woman who keeps her promises, she needs a big hug. She needs a lot of praise. Maybe some of you, before you were saved, lived really broken lives, and maybe there were other marriages, because you never even knew. No one ever read to you what a covenant promise was. I know the reality is a lot of you entered into your marriage. No pastor ever spent time explaining to you the sacredness of marriage. Some of you ran off to a justice of the peace up in Oklahoma when you were just kids. You didn't have any idea what covenant marriages really were, and some of those relationships didn't work out. But then later on in life, you came to know the Savior, and you were born again, and then you began to become aware of some of the values that God wanted you to live by, and you've been forgiven, and you've been building a life now on the covenant promises of God. We'll go home today and thank the Lord for that. Thank God that in Christ there can be faithfulness to our marital vows. I want you to nail these things down. Wives who keep their promises. Promises are still to be kept. So don't enter into those promises lightly unless you mean to keep them. Second of all, marriage's promises are ultimately made to God. That's why I'll spend time with a couple before they got married and really carefully go over the marriage ceremony. It's not because I don't have anything to do with my time. It's because I really want to take kids and adults that want to get married, I want to take them very seriously. And it breaks my heart. One of the biggest agonies to me in the pastorate is how lightly people take their word. Kids, I know you know all the right answers. If you've been raised in our church, you know all the right answers. You can tell me all yes at the right times. You can give me the Scripture verses. But if that's not what your heart is, you don't break my life except for the tears that I shed over you when it doesn't work out. But the reason I cry over you is you break your own heart. You break your own life. The value system that I've been sharing with you over the years from the Holy Word of God that some of your moms and dads have been sharing with you, they're not just things that we make up. It's not just the way we live. It's the way life really is. Come on, every one of you know deep in your heart that someone that keeps a promise to God is a precious person. You know that's what the value system that you really want. You know that going out and partying on Friday and Saturday night, kids, I know a lot of you do that. A lot of you think that's where you're going to find your marriage partner at Gillies. It's not going to fly. Someone that sits there and gets drunk on Friday night and Saturday night is not going to magically change into faithful, loyal partner because you say, I do. It just doesn't work that way unless God in His grace reaches down and marvelously changes a life. And I think some of you adults need to be honest with these kids. Some of you didn't come to know the Lord until you were a little bit older. Some of you wandered away from the Lord. And I want to share with you, adults, you need to start standing up and spelling out the way life really is. 
Because we've got a lot of kids that are saying, oh, look, at they all did it. They all lived their wild life. It'll all work out in the end. Sure. Two or three broken relationships later. Little kids that are jockeying back and forth between families. It's not flying, people. It isn't. Really consider nailing it down and saying covenant faithfulness is going to mean something to us. We can only live it by God's grace. We can only live it in the power of the Spirit. But God still says, I love the woman that doesn't forsake the partner of her youth, that doesn't get to be 35, 38 years old and decide that it's time to try on another partner. In Malachi chapter 2, God still says, I'm a witness against a married man who leaves the partner of his youth because there's somebody prettier. We need to nail that value down. You make your promises before God and sexual fulfillment can only be found in the partner of her youth. You say, Dave, how in the world did you get that in there? Turn to Proverbs chapter 5. You see, you not only want to be thankful for a woman who keeps the promises of marriage, and when I talk to you about that, you say, Men alive, I'm going to go with a girl that goes to church every Sunday, and she wears all the right things. She even teaches Sunday school. And, and she's, going to, she's going to have words like truth, and faithfulness, and godliness, and reverence. And some of you are sitting there going, how boring can you get? I want to share something with you. You've got it all wrong. The Holy Word of God, not the Christian church. In fact, what I'm going to do the next couple minutes is something that the the Christian church gets all read about many times. And the idea is you're not supposed to talk about it on Sunday morning. But I want to tell you something. There wouldn't be any mothers if it wasn't for the next few verses in Proverbs chapter 5. And God isn't uptight about it. He's not blushing about it. And adults, when you're teaching your kids, you need to give them one of the greatest gifts that you can give them. And that is the expression that in marriage, sexual fulfillment is to be found. It all begins, mothers begin, with a celebration of marital sexual love. And it's Proverbs chapter 5 changes gears in talking to young men about how to escape from the wrong kind of sexual fulfillment with an immoral woman, he turns to a very positive statement in verse 15. I want you to look at it. Drink water from your own cistern. Proverbs chapter 5, verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. It compares the wife in this verse to a cistern, which is a place in the ancient world, that you would hoon out of the rock and you would collect water. The well was the same kind of a thing that we would refer to. It's a hole that would have a spring at the bottom of it that would ever gush a free-flowing stream of water. In Israel, then in Beersheba, the southern part, it's just like a desert. When Mary and I were there, the heat would just roast you. And there's hardly any water. In fact, today in modern Israel, they pump water from the freshwater lake of Galilee all the way down to Hebron and Beersheba in the south, a big pipeline, because there's no water down there. In the ancient world, they didn't have the excavating equipment to run water lines. In Midlothian today, we might be thankful if, if we'll be thankful when they're able to get all the excavations done. But in the ancient world, they also had water problems, just like we do. And they had a hoonah the rock, these cisterns. Now, if you had one of these cisterns in your backyard, 
especially if you had a well that would bubble forth water. You would come home on a hot day and you would just be just dying of thirst. When I was a kid playing ball, I used to go about 6 o'clock in the morning and sometimes like an idiot I would go all day long and I wouldn't drink any water. And I can remember just stumbling home about a mile and in, in our, we used to have one of those old-fashioned faucets. You know one of those old jobs, you know, with a big can on the top? And I remember as a little kid, about 10 years old, I'd run in there and I'd turn it on and I'd let it run. Because up where I was raised, if you let it run, it would get cold. And then I would take and I would cut my hands like that and I would drink. And I'd just sit there with my head down in the sink. And that was one of the greatest feelings in all the world until I got married. And that's what Proverbs 5 is telling. Proverbs 5 is saying that the reason you shouldn't get involved with an immoral woman is that God has the good times in the sexual area ahead with the woman that you make a promise to, with the woman that will still be beside you in the morning and the next morning and the next morning and the next morning because you decided to build a home together and a household together. And what Proverbs is saying to every one of you young men and women, he's saying, rejoice in marital sexual love, not in illicit, selfish lust. It says that your wife will be like this refreshing fountain of water. Proverbs 5 explodes the myth that the Bible is prudish about sexuality. The truth is that when sex is enjoyed according to the Creator's design in marriage, the husband and wife find the true intoxication and exhilaration. Do it Satan's way, and you will burn hot, but you will burn out. This kind of frank yet sensitive discussion of what Proverbs teaches about sexuality and about the husband and wife relationship must not be kept to ourselves. This is vital information that counteracts vicious lies that the evil one is spreading about God's good gifts. Be sure to share this message with your friends and invite them to listen in as we continue our study on God's Handbook for Skillful Living.